United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky. I'm grateful to be with each and every one of you, and I'm grateful for today's show. U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer and USL League One Coach of the Year. They won USL League One down in Greenville. Talking about the legend that is John Harks kicks off the show. Sports psychologist Dan Abrahams, who will be a featured presenter at this year's digital convention. He's on the show. Another 30 under 30 member, Bridget Reeder, who's already won an Ohio high school state championship as a head coach at her alma mater. And we end with the Michigan women's soccer team, Jen Klein, who I think is one of the top young coaches out there. And Shalina Zadorsky, who played for Canada, played for Michigan, now with Orlando, playing overseas, Michigan, Big Ten and 10 women's soccer. What a show. And it starts with the great John Harts after this message. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. John Harks is a true U.S. soccer legend, a U.S. soccer Hall of Famer who earned 90 caps for the U.S. national team, scored multiple goals, played in two World Cups and won Olympics. He played for the University of Virginia where he won the College Player of the Year as he and his son Ian are the only father-son combo to do that. Ian did it for Wake Forest. He played abroad, scoring a wonder goal for Sheffield Wednesday, which was named the goal of the year. And he will always be one of the best on TV talking about soccer. He's an author. He is without a doubt a big time soccer coach indeed. In 2019, USL League One Greenville Triumph SC's team, which is coached by John Harks, led his side within one win of claiming a title in its inaugural season. This year, there would be no denying them. Harks was named the USL League One's Coach of the Year after leading his side to the first title, finishing six points clear at the top of the regular season standings. Greenville sat in first place throughout the campaign from its victory to open the regular season on July 18 to its finale on October 24th. Recognition for his coaching abilities is nothing new to the U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer in 2016. He was a finalist for the Championships Award after an outstanding inaugural season with FC Cincinnati. He was as well last year in League One for his exploits in Greenville's first season. But in 2020, he walks away with the prize, having built a foundation in two years that looks to see the triumph thrive for many years to come. And my good friend John Harks joins me now to kick off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. John Harks, thanks for being with us. It's an honor, Dean. I mean, this, this is my first United Soccer Coach. You finally let me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Great to be on with you, my friend. How are you? 
I'm doing great. I'm so proud of you too. You gave me a tour of your facility down there, which was great. And your beautiful wife was there as well. And she was involved and it really moved me because even though you were busy, you, you welcomed me in with open arms. I'll tell you, you built something special down there. What is it about this club? Anytime that you approach anything, Dean, in life, you know, again, we are, we're always looking to challenge ourselves as we get older and we always want to learn more about ourselves. I think my idea, my plan was to the same that I did with FC Cincinnati was, can I come in and establish a soccer culture? Can we establish a proper leadership? Can we establish an environment that is safe for the players that they feel that they can be vulnerable, that they can connect with us and that we can push them on to be the best players they can be. And that's what we did. I mean, we, we built that up. And as you say, my wife, Cindy, she worked as a director of soccer operations in the front office, driving the culture there. She was tremendous, tremendous asset for me in terms of building that club and what the expectations were every single day. We had clear lines of communication. We always connected with the player. And, you know, when we talk about communication and leadership, there was no, <laughs> no more important time to do that than to do it this year during COVID and uh, as it still exists now. Um, personal experiences with my father-in-law having COVID and coming through it from March, one of the first cases in, the, you know, uh, Prince William Hospital. And then, um, you know, it was more about how do we manage this through a pandemic? How do we keep the players anxiety free, which we knew we weren't going to be able to do, but it's still paying attention to um, the mental health aspect was the number one focus, I think, for us and making sure that we were connecting with the players every single day, because dealing with that, getting on a plane with masks and wearing gloves and spraying down your seats and staying socially distanced throughout the whole season takes discipline, but it also takes a, a focus and concentration. And, uh, it was tiring. I can tell you the guys are mentally exhausted, but it was well worth it. And um, the performances this year that they put out, the detail-oriented training sessions that we put out, I'm thankful for the, you know, taking the U.S. Soccer Pro course right now, which will finish up in December. Vin, my instructor, has been fantastic, and he's helped guide me to be a better coach. So learning a lot from him and structure, communication lines, and all that has been fantastic. So throughout the years, our conversations uh, about, you know, not just building a winning culture, but building the right culture has been really important. And the connectivity to our ownership group and Joe Irwin, who is a fantastic person, just very genuine in his approach. And when we, when I first took the job there, he said like, wow, you did so well at Cincinnati, you know, only six losses, you know, out of 30 games and you get to the chance, you know, you get to the playoffs. But he goes, more importantly, I want to hear more about the community and the way you guys connected to that, that crowd, that crowd, that fan base. I mean, you saw the fan base team. It was pretty amazing. And um, it still is today, even though they are struggling, you know, with their, their, uh, wins loss columns they have been for years and uh but the fans stay there they have a great fan support group they um that built up there in the in the beginning stages of that club you know what joe Irwin asked was like how do we do that in greenville and i said well a lot of it depends on you and your ownership and your style but together i think we can lead and then with chris lewis the president coming involved and he's been in sports and hockey as well as soccer for years and we said we wanted to do it right. I wanted it to be a club for the community. And that's the number one thing. And I think we set that out and our branding is fantastic. Fan support. Yeah, we're trying to win over Clemson football country. It's difficult. We're not going to get a lot of them. But at the same time, if you put the right players on the field with character plus ability, aesthetically, they look great to play. 
We had an identity as a club and style of play. We love a possession style built out of the back, but we also have adaptability. Adaptability is the number one word this year, my friend. If you didn't have that, you were going to suffer. So that's kind of how we did it. Yeah, you definitely had to be adaptable. The word pivot also was a big word this year that you kept hearing as well. And obviously, Omaha couldn't make it because of COVID, but I give USL League One credit for saying, you know what, the best team in the league is Greenville. They deserve that trophy. That's the right decision, right, John? Oh, without a doubt. When any team gets struck, stricken down with you know positive cases in COVID, we feel for them, obviously. Um, it was disappointing not to have Omaha in the final and compete against them. Um, our boys were ready. We were ready for that game for sure. And being at home, that was great because that would have been the first real true fan-based revenue that we can get for our club as well from a business operating cost. So you know, a lot of clubs suffering through this year, you know, clubs suffering around the world, you know, without any revenue. And um, so we were really looking forward to that final. We had um, an algorithm put in place, socially distanced. It would have had 1,700 fans there in a 4,000 plus, you know, seated stadium. So it would have been fantastic, great atmosphere. It didn't happen, but I do give USL credit, Dean. I think we had the best points per game throughout the whole year. We were number one the whole season. We never left that spot. Around the world, that, that means that you've not only won your league and you've gotten the title, but it also means that you're getting promoted to the next league up, which we would love to be. And it would have been fantastic to challenge myself in the championship with our group and our club and bring us up there because – Quite frankly, I think we are a championship team that's in USL League One, the way we operate. That's across the board in the front office as well in our team and what we've put together and our staff. So, you know, look, at the end of the day, that's not part of the equation here. We're excited that we won the title. We competed in it last year, as you said, against North Texas. We learned a lot about ourselves from that. We took a lot of things forward and we set goals and we said to ourselves, we want to get back to the final, but we want to win it this year. And so being at the top of the table all year was something that we put in short-term and long-term goals throughout the whole season. And we, you know, we accomplished that, which was fantastic. Just looking behind you, I know they're not all your trophies because you also have a talented <laughs> wife and amazing kids and everything else, but you've won a lot of trophies. What does it mean right now to be named the coach of the year of the league that you're playing in, John? Um, it's a, it's a special feeling, Dean, to be honest with you. It's a great feeling. You're winning your first title as a player is, is really special. Winning your first uh, title as a coach, I, I think is even more special because you're in charge of a team and a staff and, and players, and they look up to you from a leadership standpoint. So to have that reward, something that kind of, you know, uh, at least kind of gives you a, a thought process and saying, Hey, we did some things right this year. Now let's build on that and let's do it again next year. So it's a great feeling. It really is. It's uh, It was a challenge. My staff has been fantastic. The players are fantastic. And to be fair, the club has been brilliant because they, they allow me to fulfill not just my head coaching role, but the sporting director role about like, how are we going to move forward? What, do, what does year three look like? What does year five look like? And so that planning takes place. Our meetings take place on a weekly basis about our structure and our club. And if we're doing things right, we always check for understanding. That's the number one thing. And then uh, we try to move forward. So we're not going to get everything right. We know that nobody does, but we're going to continue to build this club up as best as we can and say, you know, can we get back to a final three years in a row and let's see if we can win it for the second time. 
I feel like another hat they let you wear is that of a father. We know Ian was great at Wake Forest. He's now playing overseas, getting it done. I think you have a daughter down the road at Clemson, right? Is that where she's playing or where's your daughter playing? Well, I have two daughters, Lauren and, and Lily. Lily is the youngest. She's at Elon University. She's a junior now, and they were shut down, and she's really disappointed. She's uh, she's my 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 old soul in a young 20-year-old body who's a coach already. But she's a good player in her own right, a holding midfielder. And uh, so they're, they're looking forward to the spring, hopefully, that they can get back playing. They're, they're competing and training right now, which is great because they were shut down for a while. And uh, she's an academic genius. She's very smart. She loves the game. So she'll be happy to get back training. And uh, my daughter, Lauren, uh, was at Clemson. You were correct there. She graduated Clemson. She still had a year left of eligibility. She went out to Creighton. Ross Pauly came in and started recruiting her to, to play a fifth year. And she's done a master's program, which she'll be finishing up December 12th of this year in organizational leadership as well as psychology. So she's got a great mind as well. And she connects with people extremely well. Very proud of both of them. And Ian doing very well at Dundee United, you know, playing every week, you know, 90 minutes plus. Picked up a little bit of a niggling injury the last couple of weeks, so he's been sparingly kind of during the cup runs. I think they've been kind of rotating, trying to save some players, but has played brilliant. He's added a lot to his game. He's learned a lot already, and um, he continues to grow as a player at the uh, age of 25. So really proud of those guys and what they've done. And as you say, you know, Cindy was a player at UVA and played with uh, USL clubs and, you know, back in the American Soccer League days and the old Washington Spirit and coached the old D.C. United team before they became the Spirit. So she's she's invested, you know, emotionally in the game uh, brilliantly. And so our family is, yeah, we're a soccer family. That's what we do. You did a great job talking about the ownership and everything that's around you in Greenville. But, John, you know the deal. When you've got the name John Harks and all the great things that you've done, and then people recognize the success you had, your name is going to be listed. You won two MLS Cups with DC United, where you were also the captain. That job is open. There are going to be other jobs that are open. They'd be fools not to look at John Harks to want to coach their team. How do you deal with all of that? Well, I mean, I appreciate the, uh, you know, the, the kind words and the support. And, um, but, you know, the, what you've done as a player and, you know, that winning mentality is great. That carries over into the coaching role. But what I've added to, to me and my, my personal growth as well as my professional growth is just that servant leadership, you know, how you understand your purpose. You drive the ego out and then you discover your true self. And when you do that, you start to become a really good coach. And there's so many coaches that have done that before me and none other than Bruce Serena. He's a great leader. And learning from Bruce and coaching with him at New York Red Bulls, even for two years there, was fantastic. I learned a great deal. Took a lot from Bob Bradley, Dave Sarakin, many coaches along the way. And even the coaches that were overseas with me, Harry Redknapp at West Ham, I learned a lot from him. You know, Ron Atkinson at Sheffield Wednesday, Roy McFarlane at Derby County. So a lot of great coaches along the way. And then what you do is you, you take the, the best of it and you make it your own. And when you make it your own, that's fantastic. You start to sail and you don't, you trust your gut instincts on things, but you're constantly learning about yourself. You're constantly learning about how players learn. Everybody's different. Their backgrounds are different. You've got to make sure you connect with them. And, and you know, a best teacher is, is the one that figures out how each player learns differently. And so I've been doing that. I've been working hard on that and the personal growth, making sure that, 
look, the opportunities for me, yeah, there's going to be other clubs that may be interested, Dean, but right now I've got a great club with a great culture. The ownership group is fantastic and um, I'm enjoying what I'm doing on a daily basis. So, you know, if there's an opportunity that presents itself, that's good for my family. It's good for me and my wife and, you know, I'm back home living and whatever it may be, but there's a lot of determining factors there. And you know that, you know that you've been in the game longer than most and you've been covering the game longer than most. So it's got to be right for the family. It's got to be right in terms of, you know, moving forward. You know, what are, what's the vision? What's the plan of that club, of that ownership group? What do they want to achieve? And if they have that and they understand their purpose, then sometimes that's a good match. Sometimes it's not though, because sometimes clubs are just happy to just make the playoffs every year. Or sometimes clubs are just settling just by, you know, being around and hanging out. And it's, that's not how I work. In this political climate we're dealing with right now, I wasn't sure you were going to answer my question, but you got around to it. You did answer it at the end for sure, John. And it was PC, I mean, all the way all the way around. I guess my point is I feel like you deserve a chance to be back in MLS or over in Europe. And I, I feel like it's going to come. And, and how hard will that be to make that decision because you love what you're doing down there in Greenville? Look, I mean, there's always hard decisions. I think we're challenged every single day you know, about within our own job and what we're doing. I think the number one thing that I try to do and just stay in the moment, you know, make sure that you're, you're, you're focused, you, you're, your head is where your feet are, you know, and if, if you understand where you are on a daily basis and you put your work in and you're honest in your work and your approach, then I think that's the best way that you can actually represent yourself and your club. There's going to be certain clubs that have different leadership, certainly. Um, some of them are, are the, the best clubs are the ones, Dean, that are emotionally invested in the game, the sport, that respect the sport. Those are the ones you want to work for because they share your passion for the game. They share the respect for the game on a daily basis. It's funny because I have this conversation with other coaches as well. You know, even Jay Vitovich, you know, who's at Pitt now, who coached my son for two years before Bobby Moose took over at uh, Wake Forest. And talking with Jay the other night, he had a great, you know, result, played very well against Duke and uh, his style of play is fantastic. I respect him greatly. And even we were talking about that. It's like, you just want to be in a great environment that matches what your values are, your core values. And if you get clubs that are like that, then you're happy. I have a club that's like that in Greenville right now. I mean, even though we built it from scratch and there's still a long way to go, we're not we're not there yet. You know, we, we might not get there until year four or five, but at the end of the day, we're on the right path. And that's where you want to be. You want to be in an environment that you enjoy your work every single day. And people, they, they don't micromanage you. They give you an opportunity to express yourself and, and build. And that's what I've been able to do at Greenville. Educate me. I love your comments on if it was like a normal structure, if you would have won it, you would have moved on to USL championship. <laughs> What's holding you back from? Come on, D. Let's get that pro relegation going. Come on. <laughs> yeah. well, what, what's holding you guys back from doing it anyway, right? Like joining USL championship. Lots money. of money, Dean. Lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's uh, just, um, you know, look, it, it, the financial aspect of it, the responsibility, accountability, especially during COVID is very challenging, you know, for many clubs. And, you know, gosh, I mean, I have these conversations overseas with even the Scottish Premiership. They're struggling financially, bleeding money because they don't have the same television deal that the English Premiership does or even the English Championship. 
Um, so look, from our perspective, I mean, we're not getting TV money at the USL League One level. It is interesting, though, to the perceptions reality kind of thing. Like people are like, you know, are, are your players that good? Can they step up to the next level? I'm like, well, we can compete against championship teams without a doubt. You know, we've done it in preseason games and I know it's preseason, but we've had some great results and we've had some great performances there. Ideally, yes, you would. Right now, I'd be in a great situation, sort of like an Eddie Howe, how Eddie Howe brought Bournemouth from the lower leagues up to the top and brought them to the top level. So not only was he challenging himself as a coach, he was challenging his club. And each time that they advanced up to the next level, it was a reward for his work. Our reward for our work was, okay, you're back in the same league. Go ahead and fight again and win it again. Instead of saying, can you step up a little bit and challenge yourself? I think it would be a no-brainer in this country to do that. Again, it comes down to money because, you know, a franchise fee is $10 million in the USL Championship currently. I think it's gone up as well. When we started at Greenville, uh, Greenville uh, Soccer Club, it was uh, 2018 was our first year. 2019 was our first year, and it was $500,000 for a franchise fee. I think it's at $2 million now already. So you talk about the growth and the development there. That's a great investment, absolutely, because that in two years' time is going to probably be 35, you know, 3.5 million, maybe 4 million at that point. So there you're getting your money back from an investor standpoint, but we're growing the game. I take it a really huge amount of accountability, and not just as a player in our country, and same with you know all my friends that I've played with and competed and qualified for the 90 World Cup and then hosted 94, and those beginning stages of the growth of our country, we were talking about, can we continue to put the game on the map in our country, make it relevant? And each of the clubs in this country at every level, Major League Soccer, USL Championship, USL League One, even USL League Two, we all have an accountability and a responsibility to grow the game in this country. If you grow it in the right way, then it sets up five years down the road, 10 years down the road for longevity, for stability. And I think in that process, if we all stayed mindful of that, we're going to do really well as a nation in soccer. That would be fantastic to do. But yeah, I would love to go up there, buddy. Let's just, can we get to the championship? Then we see each other every week because you'll be carrying the uh, North Carolina FC games with Dave Sarkin. We can still play against them in preseason. We got that victory. Don't tell Dave. <laughs> but we could do that. And that would be fun. I think that would be fantastic. I want you to go down memory lane because I still think it's amazing that you, Tony, and Tab all came from this quaint little area in Kearney, New Jersey, right around there. I just saw another video of it. Actually, ESPN called me and had me send all these videos to them, and they found you know some of the stuff that they did on Kearney. How crazy is that? Three of the all-time greatest to come from this little community. It's incredible. It is. It's um, From our perspective, it's just friends growing up playing the game. I mean, there's so many players that you know, Dean, too, from Kearney that – didn't make it to the highest levels that were quality, quality players. Even Michael, those Michael O'Neill, right? Huh? Yeah. Mike O'Neill, the, the coach at Rutgers, right? Yeah, well, he wasn't that good. <laughs> but I'm just kidding, Mike. Just kidding. <laughs> no, he was very good. And um, yeah, but even like my brother, three years older than I, you know, the Jerry McEwens that were older than us, um, that generation before Marty O'Malley, Stephen McLean, you know, all of these top players that came through, you know, Carney, even the generations before that, there were so many players in Kearney, in that surrounding New Jersey area that were on previous World Cup teams. 
if you go back in history, there is a massive, massive history of the game in that specific area. Because there were so many immigrants that were coming over for for work and, and through the textiles and the mills and everything else, there were so many great little clubs that were formed there and uh, international clubs, to be fair, German-Hungarians. I mean, even when you go back to Manny Schellscheid, coaches like that who taught us so much about the game, respect for the game, it was tremendous. So you look at Tab and Tony, myself, we're very fortunate that we had, to be fair, great parents and great you know, coaches and leaders and great support group that was around us that allowed us to play every single day past dinner time. And we got in trouble, but we still played. And <laughs> it was just the number one thing for me, Dean, and I've said this before uh, to Glenn Crooks at SiriusXM, he was asking me, what was it, Harksy? What was in the water there or whatever? I said, no, for me, it was in my heart and in my mind every single day, winners stay on, winners stay on winners stay on. That means that on the courts or at Emerson, when we played in the hockey goals, we still played soccer every single day. And it was five or six teams that had like small sided teams that were five and six at a time. And Mike O'Neill would pick those teams sometimes. And if you didn't play good the, the day before, he called you the next day and told you to wear a white t-shirt when all the good players played in red. So <laughs> that's how it was. That's how he was. He told me <laughs> the whole team system. It was unbelievable. But winners stay on for me. That's what drove me as a young player. I wanted to stay on that court. I wanted to stay on the field. I wanted to make sure that I can play against the players that were 10 years older than me because that's how I was going to learn. And it was a challenge. And um, that, that's what I think pushed us all to come out of Carney. As we close out our interview, I must admit, I do feel bad about one thing as I see all those trophies and I think about the Olympics, I think about the two World Cups, I think about all the great goals you've scored, I think about the fact that you played over in Europe, your incredible career at Virginia where you're player of the year, your family's great, you're now the coach of the year again for USL League One. I feel bad that your number one moment, despite all those great moments, is calling a game with me at Virginia. I mean, I feel bad that that's the number one moment of all the moments in soccer. Why, why do you feel bad, though, Dean? Why do you feel bad? You should feel great about that. It was a very good call on the game, by the way. You were brilliant. You were on form that day. I don't know. You can ask your wife. You must have had 17 coffees, but you were flying. But, no, it's always fun calling games with you. And uh, it's, it's, even, it's even better. Like, I was talking to Dave Johnson the other day. And, obviously, with Dave and I got to work together a great deal at um, – you know, with DC United in games. And he had mul multiple sclerosis, which MS, which I wasn't aware of. He kept this quiet even from me, Dean. But he and I were talking about, like, just working together. And I, I told him that the honor is mine because when you get to work with people like yourself in games, it's you see, number one, yes, you want to be organized. You want to say the right things. But the passion of the game is what's real. And that comes across in a broadcast. You can tell when it's scripted, but you can also tell people that understand the game, that know when to step back and let it breathe and make the right points about the skill sets that are happening in the field and develop a story. So I appreciate working with you and, you know, growing the game and, and what we've done. We still got a lot more work to do, as you know, that'll, that'll never stop, but keep doing what you're doing, my man. I appreciate all your work and, uh, and everything that uh, I had a lot of fun working with you too. So you need me to call a game, just give me a call. All right. I'm around the corner. You know where I am. <laughs>
Yeah, I love it. I love that you always respond to me, John. You've always been so great to me. And thanks for kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. You've got a lot to be thankful for. Happy Thanksgiving in advance. This will air one week in advance of Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to the Harts family. John Harts, the USL League One Coach of the Year, the USL League One Champions down there with the Greenville Triumph. Congratulations, John. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, buddy. And uh, you're only as good as the people around us. And uh Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Stay healthy and stay safe. Great to see you again. John Harks was always so good to me. He always made me smile, always made me laugh during my time as the U.S. Soccer Press Officer, and I am so glad that he's having success at Greenville. Coming up next, we take a deep dive into the psychological part of the game. Dan Abrahams, a very good presenter at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. He's already committed to be a part of this year's digital convention, January 11th. Through 15. We're not exactly sure when his session will air, but we know it will be good. His interview is good. Dan Abrahams, when we return. Registration for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention is now open. Even though we won't be together in person, the interactive digital event taking place January 11th through 15th, 2021 will still bring the soccer coaching community together for a week of fantastic presenters, diplomas, network opportunities, and more. To register, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. The game hasn't changed, just the game plan. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I want to thank U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer John Harks for kicking things off. Of course, John Harks made his name over at Sheffield Wednesday over in England, and we're joined by an English accent here right now. Dan Abrahams is a sports psychologist working alongside individuals, teams, coaches, and organizations globally. He is known for his passion to demystify sports psychology and for creating simple-to-use performance techniques. He's the author of four best-selling sports psychology books and is the founder of both the Dan Abraham Soccer Academy and the Sports Psych Show podcast. A former professional golfer and PGA qualified, Dan has a first-class honors degree in psychology and a master's degree in sport psychology. He is registered with the Health and Care Professions Council, known as HCPC, meaning he is an accredited psychologist and bound for the HCPC's Code of Conduct, which emphasizes confidentiality, evidence, professional development, safe practice, and standards of proficiency. If you're thinking, wait, I know that name, Dan Abrahams. Well, you might know it because he's a golfer, but perhaps on this show, you might know it because he has been a frequent presenter at the United Soccer Coaches Convention, and we're so pleased that he's committed to be involved with our January 11 through 15 digital convention dan abrahams joins me now dan thanks for being with me thank you so much dean really excited to be uh, speaking with me uh, i think first thing to say there is nobody definitely nobody knows me from golf i can assure you of that <laughs> i didn't win any money at golf so i wasn't very good and that's why i'm that's why i'm a psychologist now mate i mean i, I was just working out where it all went wrong basically so if anybody's going to know me if they're listening in they might know me from having seen some presentations I've done at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. So I just wanted to get that one in first. Well, it's still pretty cool that uh, you were PGA qualified. A lot of us uh, dream about that and the dream ends after the first swing. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> For sure. Well, Dan, you are going to talk about psychologically informed environments, about performance and well-being. We're still sorting out the schedule, but when I think about performance and well-being, particularly in today's world, 
That's so important, Dan. So really what you do will be amplified and it is so important right now, Dan. So just talk a little bit about uh, what you expect to discuss during the digital convention when we do find out what your time slot is. Sure. Well, look, I, I'm so excited to be coming over again. I've been over the last four years. I mean, it's it's my favorite thing to do throughout the year. It's so, so exciting and, and so different to what we experience in England. I mean, we just have nothing like it here because I'm just the enormity and, and, and the passion everybody has. So it, it's brilliant. And I'm, I'm honored to be coming back, not back over because I can't but coming on online and um, as you as you've mentioned Dean I'm going to be talking about psychologically informed environments and you guys are sorting out your scheduling and I'm probably sorting out my presentation so I'll, I'll try and give you a quick fire idea of what this is going to be about I mean as you've mentioned, performance and, and well-being, for me, in my humble opinion, Dean, you cannot separate the two. They are so linked. And when I work with a soccer player, no matter their level, I've got one eye on performance. I've got one eye on well-being, even if, even if the player I'm working with sort of insists and in saying, this is just a performance challenge. I just, I'm just looking to get this, my performance better. I'm looking to improve my game. I'm still in, in, not even in the back of my mind, Dean, in the forefront of my mind is, yeah, but you know, well-being makes a big, big difference. Emotion makes a big, big difference to your game. Psychologically informed environments, P for psych psychologically, I for informed, E for environment, a pie, a pie. And a bold statement here, but I think pie is arguably the most important thing, right? Uh, in any sporting organization, sporting club, sporting team, a psychologically informed environment is one that takes into account the thoughts, the emotions, the experiences, the personalities of the players that you're coaching. I think that's vital. Uh, I think, look, it's almost cliche to say, isn't it, that we... we historically in sports coaching have been a bit too socialized into the X's and the O's, the tech, the tactic, the physical piece. I'm passionate about, I'm a big believer that coaches need to start with the person first, their people first. Uh, I think that's vital. And Really, a psychologically informed environment. I mean, look, we can we can be as light on this one, or as we can go as deep as uh, as we want to here. But it's it starts with um, an attitude, really, that you are going to be person centered. You are going to be people oriented. You are going to consider their thoughts, their feelings, their experiences, their personalities. You're not just going to insist on certain personality traits having to be um, presented every single second of every single training sessions. I think it's about being curious about your people. I think it's accepting that people are vulnerable and they're not always going to be at their best all the time. And it's incumbent on a coach to create an environment that invites in players best, that helps players be their best possible selves on any given day. I think that's where it starts. It starts with a coaching attitude and an internal locus of control, if you like, in terms of it's not just about the X's and the O's. We're going to create an, an, an environment that helps our people engage. And then alongside of that, or even the next step, I might say, it's just conversations amongst the coaching staff. You know, that might be the head coach and the assistant coach. If you're lucky enough as a head coach to have a couple of assistants, if you're, if there's a whole team of you at a club, it's having better conversations around the psychosocial piece 
basically. It's having better conversations around what are my players thinking? What are they feeling? What emotions are they experiencing out there on the pitch? Who are they? Where have they been? You know, players have history. They don't just come in with, uh, come into your team, your club, fresh from probably, probably fresh from never having played soccer before, never having been coached before. Players bring uh, with them a, a history. We've just got to be curious about those things. We've got to bear those in mind. And then we've got to be able to coach with them in mind. We've got to be able to help players with those aspects, their thoughts, their feelings, emotions, experiences and personalities that in a very quick nutshell is is really that sets the scene of what the presentation is going to be about helping coaches have a psychologically informed environment when you go to your website dan abrahams it says helping people perform and it says that you help people of all ages and at all levels achieve their performance goals working predominantly in sport and specializing in soccer and golf you also help people in areas as diverse as business, the performing arts, and the military. You do this by breaking down the complex theories of sport and performance psychology and helping your clients to easily implement them into their everyday lives. Boy, that sounds easier said than done. How do you do that? Exactly. There's a diff- as, as I always say to people, there's a difference between simple and easy. I'd like to think the techniques, the, the, the strategies, the tools, the philosophies I talk about are by and large, pretty simple, but they're not always easy to to accomplish. One thing that's not easy to accomplish is good copy on a website. Having written four books, Dean, I have to say, I'm more proud of that copy on the website than I am having written the four books, I have to say. (laughs) It's the hardest thing to write good copy on website, and I suppose uh, I'll let other people judge whether that's good. I'm passionate about helping coaches, players as well. In fact, my first book, Soccer Tough, was written for players, again, demystifying Um, sports psychology for soccer players, but helping coaches and players make sense of the psychological side of the game. And to be able to do that, we do have to scaffold our language. We do have to be able to deliver with words and ideas that that people understand. I I think there is a bit of an identity problem, an image problem, if you like, in sports psychology. I think we're getting better at it. I think if your audience and yourself were to picture a continuum, I think on the far right-hand side of that continuum, we've got the theoretical sports psychologists who talk about inverted U hypothesis and systematic desensitization and people, coaches and players are looking at them going, hey man, I just want to score some goals. You know, I just want to keep some clean sheets. And uh, then on the left-hand and the far left-hand side of that continuum, you've got the motivational gurus, if you like, who are punching the air and saying, you can achieve anything. And, and that's great. And it has its place in life. But perhaps we want something a little bit more grounded and maybe grounded in science as well. So what I've always tried to do, uh, Dean, in my 15 years of being a, a sports psychologist and 23 years being involved in high-performance sports is really try to hit that middle ground. Not ignore the science, not ignore the theories, but also bring that, bring those theories and bring the science to life. So players go, "Hey, I'm excited about doing this today, tomorrow. I can, I can do this in my next activity. If I'm working with coaches and players, and I want to help players be more." consistent with their capacity to compete and I want to help coaches to help players to be better at their capacity to compete then I'm I'm talking about techniques like squashing ants okay ants is an acronym for automatic negative thoughts okay ants always happen to us they pop up as we're playing as we're competing we all have ants okay and quite often we've got to have build the capacity to be able to squash our ants because ants 
ruin our decision making. They slow down our anticipation. They damage our awareness. So we don't see the 360 degree view on the pitch. They ruin our physical functioning. So our first touch goes, our capacity to pass the ball quickly isn't very good. So, you know, I want players to squash ants. I want players to play in a game face. A game face for me is the personality you want to be on the pitch. It's your confidence levels. It's it, it's your optimal mental state and your optimal physical state. I'll give you an example, Dean, of a game face here. So a game face, one of my clients just so happens, uh, I'm very fortunate here to be in England and I get the opportunity to work with quite a few Premier League players. And so I, I'm blessed to work with some of the best male players in the world. I I also work with a lot of female players as well. This player uh, is, a, is a male player, plays in the uh, English Premier League and happens to be one of the better players uh, on planet soccer, right? now and he's got a game face of relentless and dominant relentless and dominant because when i spoke to him and i and we sat down together and um he, he said i want to be more consistent i'm getting a lot of ants automatic negative thoughts i want to be able to squash my ants quickly how can i do that i introduced him to a game face and i asked him tell me about you at your best when you're playing at your best tell me about that that's tapping into a player's memory dean i think that's one of the most important things a coach is, a coach can do is to tap into a player's memory ask them this tell me about you at your best tell me about your very best game pick a best game what were you doing what were you feeling what were others seeing if there was a camera on you what did that camera show what highlights would it be showing now what I do then is I want to start helping a player strip back that game and bringing them down to some keywords more accurately some adjectives things like sharp alert alive lively relentless dominant up beats words like that they're adjectives right they're describing how you're going to execute your actions this player said to me dan when i'm at my best relentless and dominant i'm relentless with my runs i'm relentless getting up and down the pitch i'm dominant in the air i'm dominant in my 1v1s i'm dominant in the challenge we picked a few more words but he went with relentless and dominant relentless and dominant now here's the thing this player who plays week in, week out, I would, I would usually say in front of 50,000 people, but at the moment it's front of, in front of about 50 people, right? But every week he's playing and he always goes into every game and his number one objective is this, I'm going to be relentless and dominant, relentless and dominant with every action, every movement, every run. I'm going to be relentless and dominant nonstop, relentless and dominant with every responsibility within my role. If I miss a great chance to score, relentless and dominant. If a cross goes into Rose Ed, relentless and dominant. If we go a goal down, relentless and dominant. If I give the ball away, relentless and dominant. If we go a goal up, relentless and dominant. If I have a whole bunch of ants, automatic negative thoughts, oh, I'm never going to play well today. Oh, it's just not happening. Oh, this this opponent's too good, too strong, too quick. Whoa, bang, squash that ant, come back to relentless and dominant. So the ants and the game face work hand in hand. That's an example of what I'm trying to do with players to really demystify it, make it super simple, not always easy to do. In fact, can be very challenging to do at times, but super simple to be able to go out there and strive to do it. Well, I got to believe it's even more challenging today. So I kind of want to go back to some of my initial comments in my first question. It doesn't appear that this pandemic is slowing down and the way that it affects all of us, particularly I think about young players and sometimes I even think about young female players. And then I think about what you're doing to maybe help coaches adapt to the players and some of these ants that they're having because it's impossible not to have negative thoughts during this pandemic, which I think only adds further credence to what you do, Dan. But what is your message to coaches that are dealing with young athletes that are now 
dealing with something we never dealt with before, this terrible pandemic that's not going away anytime soon. And the first thing to say here is that, is that I've had a lot of discussions about this, and I, and I think some people would expect me to orient straight towards the positive and, and insist that there's a, there's, a, there's a lot that's said on Twitter about, oh, well, if you don't come out of this with a second language, if you haven't, heard, if you haven't learned Mandarin by the time lockdown's <laughs> over, then you've wasted your time. This is a great opportunity. Or like uh, Bryson DeChambeau, the, the golfer, has famously gone away and put on about 100 pounds, and he's now hitting the ball four or 500 yards. So there's definitely people out there who could who, who who i'm sure can do that kind of thing but we're human beings and and you know i i think irrespective of the pandemic if i may say so and i, and I will center my answer around the pandemic but irrespective of the pandemic what we're learning more and more even at the very elite level of sport the adult elite level is the importance of vulnerability Perhaps the old school, in inverted commas, and please excuse me using that term, but the old school notion of don't be vulnerable and just get on with it and tough it out and you can control your attitude, effort and energy without a shadow of a doubt and you, you've got to bring this to the table. Well, I think you know we're, we're, we're slowly but surely understanding that even at the adult elite level that we have to give players space for vulnerability, space to be anxious, and, and, and space to have some negatives because that's the way human beings function. We, we've got to start understanding that human beings function in a manner whereby anxiety happens to us. Low mood happens to us. A drop in confidence can happen to us. Distraction happens to us. These have a biological genesis and they push through and emerge in a shape of thoughts and feelings and emotions and, and motivations. And we, we've got to be, that's not suggesting for one second that we ignore excellence in life. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we have to have a more sophisticated relationship with what excellence is and what excellence looks like. We have to have a more sophisticated relationship with human psychology that goes beyond you can control your attitude, effort, and energy, so you've got to bring that to the table. You go and do it. It's got nothing to do with us as coaches. I can't coach you that. Rubbish, in my humble opinion. That sounds strong, but I believe that. During this pandemic especially, we have to give people room for vulnerability. It's not just positive, 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 positive. The volume of our neuroticism, horrible word, but that is the technical, the psychological term for negative emotion negative emotion. And we're all born with a degree of negative emotion. Otherwise, we wouldn't survive. We wouldn't have survived as a species. The volume of our negative emotion has turned up because it's a period of uncertainty. It's a period of uncertainty. And you know, if you look across the soccer landscape, and you look at ambitious young soccer players who are playing in high school, playing at their clubs, young soccer players going into their first year or even second, third, fourth year at uh, colleges, right the way through to the professional ranks, these are times of uncertainty. We don't necessarily know when we're going to get back into it. We don't necessarily know when we're going to get back into it in a proper way where we're not social, social distancing. And hey, wow, you're calling me from the States where the, the landscape is very complex with each state taking a different viewpoint and a different behavioral approach, perhaps. So the first thing to do, the first thing to say is giving people space for vulnerability. It's okay to have those ants, those automatic negative thoughts, and yeah, don't have to squash them instantly. 
there's nothing wrong with having some wallowing in the ant for a period of time. And I think as coaches, we have to give people, our young players, leeway with that. That's absolutely fine. And moving forward, it's useful to have a, a plan in place. And, and look, some players are now having the opportunity to play. Others aren't. Those who aren't, I think some psychological techniques are brilliant at the moment to be able to not completely replace uh, soccer, but to do something such as a technique that I very simply called picturing. If you look through the sports psychology canon, the literature, it will say visualization or it will say imagery or mental rehearsal. I just call it picturing. Okay. Uh, just spending some time, young players spending them some time reflecting on their best game. So tapping into memory and just taking a pocket of two minutes here, a pocket of three minutes there, remembering their best game, just picturing that. They can also tap into their imagination, their imagination, which they might ask themselves a question. What does my dream game look like? So not my best game, which is memory. What does my dream game look like and feel like? What does a, a 10 out of 10 game look like? A, an 11 out of 10 game? We can play with our pictures. We can play with ideas. So what does my dream game look like? Again, a pocket of two minutes here, a pocket of three minutes there. It doesn't replace physical practice, but there is some evidence from psychological science that suggests that the brain and the nervous system can't tell the difference between what's real and what's imagined. So we get some firing across our muscles, across our neuronal pathways, our brain cells, uh, that where, whereby our brain and our nervous system thinks we're actually doing that activity. Again, it, not to replace anything, but it is it, it, it's there as a technique. And I always say to even the very, very top players that I work with, 1% of your day is about 15 minutes. I think accurately, it's something like 16 minutes and 20 seconds. But we'll go with 15 minutes, right? We'll round it down slightly. I always say to, to the players I work with, spend 15 minutes a day, 1% of your day, just picturing you at your best, picturing your, your dream game. And that's a useful time spent engaged in that activity. And it doesn't have to be 15 minutes all in one go. You don't have to put your thumb and forefinger together and go home. You can just do it while you're brushing your teeth, while you're having a shower, while you're chin chilling out on the sofa. And that's a useful thing to do. So number one, allow people to express vulnerability. Number two, use psychological uh, techniques where you can. Number three, if you only have the capacity for a ball and a wall, if you only have the capacity where just you or you and friends who are socially distancing, so you can't get too close to them, then when you're doing that, when, you're, when you've got a ball and a wall, imagine the game around you. Set yourself stretch challenges. I always talk about coaches having two dials, a stretch dial and a support dial. I think players have two dials, a stretch dial and a support dial. If you want to get better at sport, you do have to turn up the volume of stretch at times. Set yourself some stretch challenges. For instance, it might be going from 50 volleys against a wall to 100 volleys uh, against a wall. And then you can scaffold it up. It might be 50 volleys, 75 volleys, 100 volleys. But then you've got to look in one direction, check your shoulder, scan in one direction, scan in both directions. Then you might get a friend to hold up some fingers 
and you've got to tell them how many fingers they're holding up. I used to do this all the time when I used to work at QPR. I remember years ago, QPR Academy, a decade ago, I used to, the players had a bounce board and I used to hold up, hold up my fingers and they used to have, say three, four, five, none, you know, as they were, as they were using the bounce, the, the bounce board. So stretch, give yourself stretch challenges and bring in teammates where you can. Because remember, this is a team game and isolated practice is useful and important. You and a ball, you a ball and a wall. But ultimately, your capacity to engage with teammates from a scanning perspective, one of the world's leading experts in scanning is a guy called Dr. Gershaw who's based at Norwegian Institute of Sport. He spends his life researching this. And, you know, he talks about Javi and Messi and Iniesta, the best players in the world or you know, a couple of those have retired now, but they were the best in the world at scanning. So making sure that, that you are bringing in teammates, socially distancing, yes, but you know, feeding off the cues that they give as you're going back and forward passing and then making those activities as stretched and as hard as you can. So three things uh, as a starter here, three things. Accept vulnerability, that's okay. Use mental techniques on a day-to-day basis. Set yourself stretch challenges from uh, individual isolated techniques through to bringing in teammates where you can. So great to be with Dan Abrahams, who will be one of our presenters during the digital convention, January 11 through 15. Dan Abrahams. Two more quick questions here. It's interesting you mentioned Bryson DeChambeau. Of course, we just finished the Masters at a strange time. And yes, he's a beast. And he even mentioned some physical ailments, but mentally he wasn't quite there Give me a quick antidote as a former golfer. I mean, mentally, I mean, five years ago, I decided it'd be cool to regrip on every backswing for some reason. You know, I can't even explain it. But I mean, I can see how golf would make you want to do what you do. Can you give an anecdote on how golf pushed you? Because mentally, man, it's got a stranglehold on me. I can tell you that. It is very challenging mentally. I mean, I think it's an interesting landscape. I suppose I'd like to think I hold what could be perceived to be a slightly brave opinion, whereby I actually think soccer is at least equally as psychological, just purely as a golfer, you pay your entrance fee, you turn up, you play. I work with players here and globally who, um, if they don't get picked and they're not playing, they're not playing. And they've also got to have to learn interpersonal skills as well as intrapersonal skills. So the capacity to function within a team and and, and be part of a club which isn't the same for golf but I just think it's so so important for golfers to have a routine to be task oriented in and around the ball and to really focus their attention it's very interesting landscape a lot of psychologists historically have talked about clear your mind focus on the target so pick a tree or uh, the edge of the bunker or a small spot in the distance then just let that swing go i'm actually a little bit anti that because i think when we talk about clear your mind i actually think the brain isn't very good at doing that and it actually invites thought in so i'm always keen to talk with players about having a, a swing thought or a swing feeling just a simple one Probably not regripping the club on the way back. That's certainly a dangerous one to have. Um, but I always talk, talk, talk to my clients about the walk into the ball. I think that's important. And, and this will strike a, or strike a similar chord to the game face with soccer. I'm trying to help players uh, have a key word. 
with their walk into the ball that they can enact. So I'm talking, I asked them, what does a great walk into the ball look like to you? Is it confident? Is it upbeat? Is it stride? Is it stare as in stare at the target? Is it tall as in tall body language? What, what does a great walk into the ball look like? And they might say, oh, it's a, it's a stride. You know, I've got my chest out. It's a stride. I, you know, because I think we have to be able to take charge of our shot rather than our shot taking charge of us. That's what tends to happen in golf. Our shot takes charge of us rather than we take charge of our shot. So I want good dominant body language, a good keyword that helps people take charge of themselves going into the ball and then a focus on that swing feel working back down and through the ball. And I'd ask, also ask the question, what does a great swing feel like? Is it a confident swing? Is it a free swing? Is it a committed swing? perhaps and they might say it's a committed swing well show me a committed swing you go around the course with them and i'll say what we're going to do here is we're not going to worry where the golf ball goes okay mm. i talk to players about a b c d there's an a shot that goes straight down the middle there's a b shot that is pretty good it's still on the fairway or still on the green but just off there's a c shot where you've missed the fairway or green and then there's the d d shot the destructive shot the one that goes out of town right and i say we don't care a b c d we're not trying to force the a shot because that's what golfers do they've tried to force the a shot and they guide and steer it down the middle and then they get scared of the d shot they get scared of the d shot so again they guide and steer it down the middle so they're standing there over the ball and they've got a whole pile of ants don't hit D, don't hit D, don't hit it in the trees, don't hit it in the water, or please get down the middle, please hit the A shot, please get down the middle, and they sort of guide it and they scoop it and it's horrible. So I want a great, confident, upbeat, I'm taking charge walk into the golf ball, and then I want, let's say, a committed swing or a free swing with, with no care for where the golf ball goes, with mm -hmm. no care for where the golf ball goes. And that is so tough to do. And that is where your Dustin Johnsons, your Brooks Kepkers, Rory when he's on, sometimes I personally believe with respect, he struggles with that a bit. Bryson DeChambeau with, you know, now his philosophy is I just want to hit it as far as I can. I think he's very good at it because he's just trying to whack the leather off the ball basically and smash it down the middle. It's, it's swinging committed or free or confident and not caring about where that golf ball goes. Greg Norman summed it up. He said, Bryson you know, he, 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 he said a lot going into the Masters and he said, I understand why. And he was confident and that's great and good luck to him. But when you start talking about Augusta National being a par 67 rather than a par 72 because of the prodigious distances, prodigious, if I can say that word, distances he's hitting it. When you start saying that, then the golf course has a way of beating you up. It, 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 it's just, and I think he got a bit frustrated out there and, and the, the golf course started to take charge of him. It can be brutally psychological as well. My walk to the ball is the same uh, every time, and that is I have no idea where it's going. It's more of <laughs> a shot every single time. As we, as we wrap it up, normally I'd call it a softball question. In reference to you, I'm going to call it a 100-yard chip shot or a 12-foot putt, which I know is automatic for you, Dan Abraham. So that's my um, correlation to a softball, and that is when you think United soccer coaches – even over there in England, what makes the association so special to you? Um, it's the best convention in the world, uh, soccer convention in the world. It's as simple as that. It's so exciting to come over. The buzz is fantastic. I just think there's so many layers to it. The presentations are really good. I find myself, 
you know, sitting in and, and, and watching some, some great, great sessions, which I, I think uh, every year I've come back, they, they've improved. Uh, I think, that, you know, the buzz in the commercial area is great. And it's for me, it's great to come back. And now I'm sort of, okay, you know, things are a bit different this year, but it's great that you guys have got a, a social area, uh, you know, within the digital thing. And, and, and so I'll certainly be tuning into that. And whether it's digital, whether it's in person, the ability to, to to see old friends and meet new ones, I just think is is so important that networking. But it's just it's it's the best for me, and I I, I just love it. So uh, uh, I've t- I've told Jeff that he, he's he's got to invite me back every year. It's it's compulsory now. <laughs> well, we love having you, and I guess based on that answer, that means that a hundred yard ships are automatic and 10 feet putts are automatic as well, based on that brilliant answer with that, Dan Abrahams, where can people learn more about your four books as we wrap it up and learn more about how they might be able to use you down the road to help their team uh, in some way. Sure. Well, thank you. Firstly, thank you so much for inviting me on, Dean. It's been a real honor and pleasure. Uh, super excited. I listened to this podcast on my journeys around England, going to clubs and, and, and to, to, to work with players. So it's been great, been great to be on. I can be found at danabrahams.com and you can get in contact with me there. You can find my books. You can find my my uh, online academy there where I support oh, well, a couple of dozen college programs and, and clubs stateside. So I I'm, do I'm very active working uh, within the soccer community over in the US, even though I'm based in England. You can find my my podcast, if you don't mind me saying, uh, The Sports Psych Show, which is half decent just because my guests are really good and uh, I'm a particularly average host. Twitter is, the, the best one is at DanAbrahams77, where I'm tweeting out soccer tweets all the time, at DanAbrahams77. Uh, Instagram, at DanAbrahamsSport. Facebook, at DanAbrahamsSoccer. Um, I get a around a bit Dean so there we go so thank you so much well thank you and I want to remind everybody it's spelled Abraham's is spelled A-B-R-A-H-A-M-S and uh, you just heard you can do it Twitter Instagram all the way home and find everything there is about Dan Abraham's Dan thank you so much for being with us and go ahead and confirm that anything 10 feet and in you're going to bury I will bury them there is actually it's funny you should say that that the there is a fact that Tour pros hold only 50%. I'm going to try and get this right. 50% of eight foot putts. That is a statistical fact. So at 10 feet, I think it drops down to about 46%. Clearly, if I was to be honest, I was down at about 20%. That's why I'm making a living as a sports psychologist now, Dean. (laughs) All right, Dan Abrahams, thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast and all you do. We'll see you as part of the digital convention. Have a great day, Dan. Thank you so much, sir. John Harks, Dan Abrahams, a great start. Up next, a 30 under 30 member, Bridget Reeder, who's already won a state championship at her alma mater where she's the head coach. Bridget Reeder, after this message. United Soccer Coaches' advanced diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced diplomas for more information. 
Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I want to thank the great John Harks for kicking it off. And then Dan Abrahams. Boy, is he all about performance and well-being. And he will be a featured presenter at the digital convention. Favorite part of the show, we meet another member of our 30 under 30 class. Let me tell you a little bit about the former Ball State soccer standout and reigning, by the way, Ohio State champion high school coach Bridget Reeder, who was named to the United Soccer Coaches Distinguished 30 under 30 list. A little over a month ago, Reader is now in her fifth season as the girls varsity soccer head coach at Lakota West in Ohio. As you all know, I am a Buckeye, her high school alma mater outside Cincinnati. She led her team to an unbeaten record of 22-0-2 in 2019 and a state title in Ohio's largest division. Bridget, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ian. Glad, uh, glad I could be a part of it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I always love talking to people that are tied to Ohio in any way. And I know you were born in Michigan, but how long have you been in Ohio? Goodness, since probably kindergarten. So, I mean, close to 28, well, 24 years now. So, big Buckeye myself here. All right, well, tell me about your journey. What youth club did you play for and why did you pick Ball State? So, walk us up through your youth club and then Ball State. And then I know that uh, you actually were pretty close to my other favorite team, the North Carolina Courage. Give us that whole path if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Grew up in Cincinnati, played majority of the competitive club side of things with Ohio Elite. Those who know the Cincinnati territory, it's kind of Ohio Elite and uh, Cincinnati United Premier that dominate the scene down here. So I was an Ohio Elite kid and then um, went off to Ball State and, and played my four years there, had a pretty successful career. So, you know, enjoyed my time there. And uh, upon graduation, took the shot and uh, ended up playing preseason, um, made the 25-man roster with Western New York Flash, which is now North Carolina Courage, but had a you know phenomenal time there, getting to play with some big name players, some greats. Um, so it really challenged me in my playing career and kind of growing to the next level. Ended up going to play in Seattle with the uh, Seattle Sounders women that summer. So left New York, went to Seattle again, got to play. You know, have the fortunate opportunity to play with some some wonderful players. One of them being Jalen Hinkle, who was a big North Carolina Courage star. Great experience out in Seattle. QB Busby Jr., who's actually going to be presenting at the convention this year. He was my head coach there. So great guy, great organization. And then after that summer, went over and played abroad in uh, Sweden for a few years. So, you know, got to keep my playing career uh, going for a few years, make a little money and uh, travel. So can't complain too much about that. So Bridget, when did the coaching bug hit and how did it hit? Yeah, so when I uh, kind of decided to stay you know in the states and not play abroad anymore um it was crazy timing where the job at west at lakota west so where i went to high school uh opened up and so they reached out to me approached me about it and i kind of dove in and said all right well that, that means i'm here in cincinnati for a little bit longer but uh haven't regretted it so it's been wonderful especially to be back where you know a school and a community that gave me so much growing up so let me get this straight. Your first job as a coach was back at your alma mater, or did you do some instructing or youth coaching? Or, I mean, how did you just get right there? And, and you're the head coach too, right? I am the head coach. Yeah. It, um, 
that was my first kind of full-time head coach role. So, you know, when I was in Seattle and abroad, I would do kind of assistant coaching or the youth side of things, running camps, et cetera, but came back and, you know, I've got a lot of people in my corner in Cincinnati and that knew and trusted that I kind of had the vision for the program and the knowledge and the background. And they said, here you go. We'll be in your corner. We'll trust you. And so head coach at 25 of my alma, alma mater is a, a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. Crazy to think about. Yeah, incredible. And then to win the state championship, I actually do some state titles for the OHSAA. I don't do soccer because Dwight Burgess has that, but I was just in Vandalia, Ohio for volleyball and the atmosphere, even with COVID was amazing. To win a state title, there's nothing better for a high school, right? I mean, it's the pinnacle, right? It's what everybody dreamed of doing. And for myself and my staff to be able to do that in our fourth season at West was pretty incredible. And we knew there was a lot of rebuilding to be done once we came in. Culture change, the the grind that was kind of put in by the players, but then, you know, it, it always takes a little bit of luck too. So we had a phenomenal squad last year, again this year. And so that crazy environment at up, up, up at Mott Free Stadium and playing where the crew plays and winning the state title with 13 seconds left. So, you know, it was, it was about to go to overtime and we snuck one in in those last few seconds. So it was, uh, talk about a crazy environment. It was a crazy environment. It's a big time school, Lakota West. Any players that you have coached that have moved on to big time colleges uh, that we might recognize? You know, pretty much each year we'll have, a, you know, players going division one, whether it's a mid-American, small, we've got D2 players. Actually, our senior class from this year who were juniors last year, part of that state championship team, Kalen Dukovic is going to be a name that people will hear. Cindy Jones is another name that people will hear for quite some time. Uh, both of those young ladies going to Iowa State University, many ACC schools, et cetera, looking at them as well, but two phenomenal players in them, both of which have spent some time in and out of the youth national teams. So those are going to be players that are, are on the radar for for quite a few uh, NWSL teams coming up, et cetera. So they've been a, a joy to coach. We've got a few more seniors going to Cleveland State and some other D1 schools as well. So good, good little group. That's awesome. If you listen to this show, I'm about mentors and memories. Obviously, winning the state title is a big memory, but who have been the most influential mentors in your life and what is the best memory in your soccer life? There's definitely been, I would say, kind of a a coach or a previous teammate in each phase of my playing and coaching career um, that I've kind of played a part. One of my assistant coaches, Ileana Moskos, she was let's see, assistant at, at Ball State for me my junior year. And, and she was really one that told me, hey, you, you've got a shot to play at the next level. So from a playing side of things, she was one that kind of said, like, you've got what it takes, like, go, go pursue it, go, go be a part of it. But even my high school coaches, so when I was at Lakota West, just from a life perspective, too, were ones that created that culture and that drive and that love for the game and being a part of a team. So I, I think that's why I hold so much pride in being back at West because that program and those coaches gave me so much. And so now being back at, at West, I, I feel like that's kind of my way of being able to pay it back. So the, the coaches that gave me so much, the community that gave me a ton, now I get to kind of return that favor. And then is the state title your best memory? Is that what you where you would I mean, it would definitely have to be. It's hard to kind of beat that at this point. So um yeah, it, I would say this, the state title has got to be one of the pinnacle, the, the high points of the career. Probably also know I asked the 10-year question, 10 years from now, where will Bridget Reader be? If I had to 
predict the future, it's still co- probably still coaching at West, you know, entertain the college scene, but I, I think this is my niche and, uh, and I'm good with that because I, it's, for me, it's about the development of the all around person. Yes. Obviously I am competitive. I hate losing. I want to win. I want to build a program that is consistently having the standard of chasing state, state titles. But uh, now the high school scene for me is where it's at because I get to invest back into the, into the young ladies and kind of walk through the, the real world stuff that's going on with them too. When I call games on the Big Ten Network now, I have, and I know Ball State wasn't in the Big Ten Network, but I have a new line now, particularly if I do a Wisconsin game, I can say, yeah, Cincinnati's produced big time players like Rose Lavelle and Bridget Reeder. Does that work for you? <laughs> You might want to put Kalen and Sydney in there instead of me. <laughs> They're going to be your next big players come out of Cincinnati. I, ca- I can't take that kind of credit. <laughs> it's pretty neat that that Rose is from that area though, right? It is. Yeah. She actually, she was a Mount Notre Dame uh, grad herself. So they had a successful soccer career or soccer season this year. Uh, M&D did. So yeah, she's, Rose is a fun player. We miss playing each other just by, you know, one year there. But you'll be hearing some more names come out of Cincinnati here soon. Finally, Bridget Reeder, when you think about United Soccer Coaches and you think about being a part of this elite and special 30 under 30 class, what does it mean to you and what do you want to get out of it? I'm incredibly grateful for this. I, I think that's that, that may be the best word. Humbled, too. I mean, this is one of the largest classes that applied. So to be picked and honored um, is really cool and something that I'm not taking lightly because I know there's a lot of quality coaches around that apply for this and that that want this. And so for me, it it holds a high regard. And I know there's a lot of incredibly talented and knowledgeable and and just phenomenal mentors out there. So I'm looking forward to being poured into um, and learning and growing. And, you know, I would say that's ultimately what I'm looking to get out of it is just be a sponge and absorb because I know I don't know it all. And and there's a million different things to learn, not just on the tactical and the technical side, but just about the game and life and being a coach and, you know, navigating obstacles. So I'm really looking forward to it from the full broad spectrum of everything and uh, feel very honored to be selected. Let's close it out with this because I mentioned earlier, home is where the heart is. I'm guessing we didn't talk family, but I'm guessing because you're back at your alma mater that perhaps your family is close by and they get to see you do what you do? Yeah, my parents actually keep stats for us. So they they, they can't get enough of it. They uh, keep stats for the program. And, and, you know, family's close up there in Columbus too. So I do have a great support system here and, and who are just as invested in Lakota West soccer as I am. So it's been wonderful. Bridget Reeder, another outstanding member of our 30 under 30 class. Thanks for being with us. And we're one week away from Thanksgiving. So have a great Thanksgiving, okay? Thank you. You as well, Dean. Well, we moved from Ohio to Michigan, the University of Michigan women's soccer team led by the impressive young coach, Jen Klein, former alumni from Michigan, Shalina Zadorsky has played for Canada, now is a member of the Orlando Pride. I believe she's playing overseas. Jen Klein, Shalina Zadorsky, Michigan, Big Ten, women's soccer in 10 when we return. High school coaches are presented unique challenges both on and off the field of play. The United Soccer Coaches High School Diploma, now delivered in an all-online format, supplies coaches with the knowledge needed to perform the distinctive role high school coaches play in the development of young players. This updated diploma takes a look at the ongoing duties of the high school coach and how to better prepare them for the responsibilities given to them in that position. For more information or to register, go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash education.
Dean Linky joined by Kayla Sharples, the former All Big Ten Northwestern defender, now playing with the Red Stars. And we're talking Michigan women's soccer. I felt like I had the best seat in the house last year. Jennifer Klein, you are a great coach. Your team was amazing. And I feel like you're settling into Ann Arbor perfectly. Talk about how much you're enjoying your time with Michigan. Yeah, it's been unbelievable. The The work that we've been able to do in such a short period of time is a dream, really. Like uh, coming in, you, I knew that we had the foundation and the players to, to be successful, but to be able to, to do it in the short period of time is, has honestly been amazing and just really excited to see what we're able to do with the program moving forward. Like Dean alluded to, you have just made such a big impact on this Michigan team. What changes did you make from your first season with them to just last year being your second season? And what do you think contributed to that success? Yeah, I think two of the biggest uh, factors that really changed it was one, just the work that we did from a, a culture standpoint and, and really building and carving out time to work on the culture and, and the, the team cohesiveness with, within that. And I also think from a, a, a style of play, definitely I'm more of a, a, an attacking style of coach and, and get a lot of numbers forward. And I think in our first year, you know, what maybe didn't allow for us to have as much success is learning how to defend in that type of, of style of play and getting caught a bit in moments of transition and, you know, going from year one to year two, learning how to defend while you're, you know, got a lot of numbers forward and, and you maybe have some creating better balance um, within our attack so that way we can deal with that transition to defend. Um, and so I think those are two of the biggest uh, differences from year one to year two. And I also think the players just comfort level, you know, they, they saw the success was working. And, and so just when you can see that success, it, it's a lot easier to buy in and, and to feel confident in, in what they're doing. With that, Jen, we let the coaches pick who was going to be on. I love your pick because you get that you still need to have your alumni supporting the program. I also love your pick because there's not a better name than Shalina out there. Shalina Zdorsky, who also played for Canada. As we turn it over to Shalina, quick soundbite on why you picked her. Yeah, I, I think it's a player, you know, we haven't gotten a chance to meet in person, but have heard such unbelievable great things about her, um, you know, not only from other alums, but we have a current, you know, a teammate of hers in, in Jade Revere and, and, you know, just what she has to say about, about Shalina and just recognizing that, there's a lot of great, um, you know, being a new coach and coming in um, and kind of, you know, people think change, but it's also embracing the tradition and the greatness that that Michigan's had. And there's been a lot of really good players through here. And so just embracing those players, our past and, and highlighting that, you know, we're just adding to an already great program. How about that for a setup, Shalina? You were brilliant at Michigan, brilliant for Canada, still playing in the league. You got to be so proud of your alma mater and your time spent at Michigan. Absolutely. I mean, thank you so much for the kind words, Jen. I really appreciate that. Nice to meet you finally via Zoom. But no, I think just seeing um, the Michigan soccer team succeed at this level again is it's so um, it's inspiring to see because. For me, college feels like a long time ago. And just to see how impactful those years were for myself as, a, as an individual and as a footballer, and now to see those girls going through it with you and, and you leading the realm and, and bringing them back to the tournament and bringing them back to winning ways, I think that's so incredible. And I love what you speak about culture because I think that's, that's a huge part of, of being a, a Wolverine. And I think 
that's a huge part that how we found success um, when I was there. So I think it's, it's so cool what you're doing. Shalina, you were the captain of your team your senior year, and you anchored a defense that conceded only 12 goals all season, which actually was a new program record. So how have you applied that leadership and that commitment to your professional career now? Yeah, I think I pride myself on being someone who's constantly evolving and, and learning from those around me. So I think when I was there, I was able to co-captain. And I think we had great leaders at Michigan and such a diverse group of, of leaders. So I was able to bounce ideas off them. I was able to communicate with them and kind of get the troops together and, and really hone in on what we were trying to achieve. So I think my leadership style, I'm, I'm very communicative. I love to lead a back line. I, I love to work with my center backs and, and really get that partnership going. So I think that's what I've tried to bring into my pro career. And I've been fortunate to play with so many good players. So I'm constantly learning and, and hopefully making a positive impact out there. What made you decide to go to college in the U.S.? And then specifically, why the University of Michigan to play soccer? So I had gone to the under-17 World Cup. That was my first, first youth World Cup with Canada. And that's actually where Greg Ryan had scouted me. And, and that's kind of where one of my best friends to date, uh, Kem Azurke, we both ended up looking at Michigan. And for me, um, it was such a great opportunity because of not only the athletics, but the academics at Michigan. And then as soon as I, I made the trip to Ann Arbor, I mean, I was hooked. It didn't really take much more than that. I just felt like it was such a good environment to learn. I love that it was a huge school. I, I love that about it. I think it's, you create a family within that, but then you have so much support around you. I, honestly, those four years are they mean so much to me and um, it was an easy choice for me and I think it's so cool to now watch Jen lead these girls and, and really impact their lives in a positive way. And Jen, I know you hit on hit on this a little bit earlier, but you haven't coached Shalina personally, um, but to know and to have someone of her caliber and her talent come from the Michigan program and have such success in the professional leagues, um, what does that mean to the Michigan program? What does that mean to you? Is that motivation for your current girls? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think it's, you know, anytime that you can see somebody that has a tie to your university, a tie to your program and has found a way to be successful and, you know, everybody's path is going to be slightly different and unique to them as an individual. But to see that Shalina has, you know, been able to have a, a, a great career and, and have it over across multiple leagues um, just shows that, uh, you know, to to our young women, it is possible and, and you know, you, you can you can be a, a Wolverine and, and have a professional career. And I, I think, you know, the other great um, experience that she has that really um, helps our, our young women is, is her involvement with the Canadian national team and to getting to see, a, you know, one of your alumni represent their country at, at the highest level within our sport. Um, it's just a sense of pride and a sense that, you know, if you can see somebody doing it, it gives you something to strive, to strive for. Um, and, and a bit of like uh, just confidence that it, it's definitely possible. Jen, I was curious, why did you decide to make the move to the Big Ten? What what has been the biggest adjustment? And then alongside that, who have been your mentors then in this league that have kind of helped with that adjustment? Yeah, uh, I, I hear the winters here are great. So that's why I, <laughs> I moved. Um, no, I, I, you know, I always knew that I was a, a head coach before going back and being an assistant coach and always knew that I wanted to go back and be a head coach and 
you know, I was part of a, a very good program and so felt like I could be really picky and, you know, um, had an opportunity to hear uh, Coach Hutch um, speak about Michigan. And the second I heard her and, and heard all the things about Michigan, it, it was a program that I, if it opened up, it was going to be one that I wanted to go for. And so very fortunate that uh, Michigan selected me to, to be a part of the program and, and to be the head coach. And, you know, biggest adjustment, honestly, has, has been a little bit of the weather, but, um, you know, you, you get here, it's easy. They, they have indoor facilities, so you're not out in it, but, um, it's unbelievable. The, the resources, the support, um, the success of, of all the programs here, but you're trying to build, um, a very good program into a, a great program and, and the, foundations here to do it so it, it it's been a, a real pleasure make no mistake tough winners or not that m looks good on you jen don't you agree shalina looks good on her right absolutely i love how uh, big it is right behind you yeah. too yeah you know <laughs> shalina zadorsky jen klein a rock star coach, and that's Michigan Big Ten Women's Soccer in 10. And I want to thank all of our guests, John Harks, Dan Abrahams, Bridget Reeder, and of course, Jen Klein and Shalina Zadorsky. For Sean Chevro and Mike Knipper from United Soccer Coaches and each and every one of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next Thursday for a special Thanksgiving edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.